I, I don't think we talk about heartbreak enough in the workplace. I'm going to go even past heartbreak, and I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say the L word, love. Why can we not I'm gonna cry. mention now I'm gonna cry. the word? If you can't make people feel like they belong when they're there, they will continue to walk out the door, and you will have this revolving door of talent, and that ultimately is going to impact your financials. You want to be an ally? Be an ally outside of the conversation. Mm. Be human inside of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm Karen Taylor, and the way that I look at belonging is like this. I look at it through a lens of something that I call peace. And peace stands for psychological safety, empathy, acceptance, connection, and feeling embraced. If you think about the notion of the word peace, it equates to what I believe belonging is. Well, hello there, Karen Taylor. Well, hello there, Raj Kumari. <laughs> oh my gosh. You are here at the studio. Finally. Finally. I must start crying already, <laughs> right out of the gate. Well, if you cry, that means I cry, so we can ha not have any crying today. <laughs> okay, let's try that. <laughs> um, wow, we met, so I saw you two years ago, but we met at Genentech. Yeah. So Paula Jones, I think she introduced us, right? Well, we actually met, HR was having an innovation day and you were doing a pitch on what your product was. And that's how I met you. I met you at innovation day at Genentech. So currently you transitioned out of Genentech. I did. And you went somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Went to a company called Workday, which is where I'm at today. Um, I'm Workday's chief diversity officer, and I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing there. I must admit, it is challenging, yeah. given the context of everything that's going on in the world today. Just DEI in general yeah. is, uh, is um, perplex. It's <laughs> complex. It is confusing. It's energetic. It's a bunch of things all at the same time, but I'd sum it up as being pretty chaotic at the moment when we look mm. at all the decisions that are being made, either from SCOTUS, or we look at hate that's going on in the world, or we look at just how we're thinking about equity in general, things have changed. And we're at a time where I feel we need to refocus in a way that is going to put, honestly, belonging and equity at the center mm. of where we're focused so that we can ensure that there's that there's goodness in the world for everybody, and there is space for that. So. Wow. Well, welcome to the world of Karen Taylor. We have gotten into it immediately. <laughs> I love this so, so much. <sighs> wow. So much there already in the first three nanoseconds. How do we... You're absolutely right. It is incredibly complex and perplexing. I would even add that it is heartbreaking. As organizations who want to prioritize the work of diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, because there are some organizations that are not prioritizing this, right? But those who do, what is the beginning path? What is the pathway in to reconciling this level of complexity? In my mind, it does all start with a conversation mm -hmm. and being able to break down the perceived barriers that we may see mm -hmm. that are not enabling us to have the conversations that we need to have. And so I really think that as we start, mm -hmm. as you start, really think about data. How do you collect data from your employees? What does your employee voice say, mm -hmm. right? And I would go internally first before I went externally and worried about all the other external yes. factors that could be potentially impacting your workforce. I would remain 
internal right now. I would be thinking about your culture. I would be thinking about your values. I would be thinking about the efforts and the and the the environment that you are trying to create mm-hmm. around that environment of inclusion and belonging. Mm-hmm. And I would remain there. But you have to start with understanding what are the challenges, what are the successes, what are the things that are working really well mm-hmm. within your organization that should be repeated. Mm-hmm. But what are those things that are creating barriers to either advancement or access or opportunity for Mm -hmm. certain people within the organization. You have to look at that and be able to break down Mm. where those disparities are happening. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I would say, Raj Kumari, that is often overlooked is the focus on similarities. What brings us together as a part of the communities that we are in, as opposed to what are always all the differences? Now, I'm one who actually believes in difference. Mm -hmm. I believe that difference is what creates the beauty that we currently have in the world. Our similarities are great, but it's those differences that now allow us to see things in a very different way. And so I think instead of not focusing on the differences. How do we bring the differences to light with the similarities so that we can bring the goodness throughout everything? Oh, so much to unpack here. Okay, so I want to, I want to, I want to talk about perceived barriers, but I want to also bring up this, this 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 differences piece because the differences piece is more important, I think, than people realize. So in biology, there is something called the law of requisite variety, and what this law states is that in an ecosystem, the organism that is most flexible has the greater success of thriving in the ecosystem. Okay. Right? And the data shows in truckloads full about how the more diverse our teams are, the more profitable we are, the more successful we are, the more we are moving toward our goals and actually, you know, get shit done, right? Yeah. So when we talk about perceived barriers, because I I was very intrigued by the fact that you used the word perceived, there are actual barriers. Mm -hmm. When you look at communities of color, when you look at the layers of systemic oppression, they're not perceived. Mm. I agree with you 100%. And what I mean by that, there are some barriers that are really real, but there are barriers that we put up that don't have to be there. And those are the perceived barriers that I'm talking about. Mm. We can look at people and we put barriers up saying, oh, that person is different, therefore I need to treat them different. Well, why just because that person is different, why do you need to treat them different? And those are the barriers, those artificial barriers that we are putting up around what we don't understand or people that we don't understand. Why are we putting those barriers up? Because Mm -hmm. of a lack of understanding as opposed to Mm -hmm. better understanding, how do I become more curious about this person's mm. difference or how do we be, how do I become more curious about the things that I don't know about this person and lean on that curiosity mm-hmm. as opposed to putting up the barriers of the perceived those perceived mm-hmm. barriers because I don't understand the difference right that's a big, but some of the barriers are real you know, right. when we talk about how come there are not more more black people or more women in leadership in leadership positions, those are not perceived barriers. Those are right. real barriers and real challenges yeah. that people have to overcome. Right. You're talking about implicit bias. That's right. Yeah, you're talking about implicit bias. I want to I want to take us over to what you have done so beautifully at Workday. Mm-hmm. You, it, this is your baby. You you put together Vibe. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what Vibe stands for. What is Vibe? What are the components of Vibe? Yeah. Do you mind if I tell you how I got to Vibe first? Yeah, of course. Because I think the the journey to getting to Vibe is just as important as what we're trying to do with it. Of course. So look, I've been, I've traveled all around the world. I've lived in Australia for over five years. I've been to many different- I didn't actually know that about you. We've been friends for so long. I didn't know that you lived in Australia. I did. I lived in Australia for five years. My 
oldest daughter, her name is Sydney. My youngest daughter, Raquel, was actually born in Australia. So we have a very close connection. But yeah, I spent a lot of time there. But I also spent a lot of time traveling around Asia. And what I recognized when I would travel around Asia is the the responses that I would get as to who I was as an African-American mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. So I could be in certain parts of Asia and people would stare at me mm-hmm. very intently. They would stare and they would not yeah. be afraid to stare. They'd let me know you're different and you're something that I'm curious about. And so they would stare at me. I would be in other parts where I would be walking down the street and you would know people are looking at me intently and they'd get right up on me and they'd walk past me like, like I was any other Asian person on the street. Mm. I was literally in one location and someone gasped at me, right? But what these experiences did is they made me um, understand that people were curious about my difference, right? I didn't get afraid or I didn't get, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't um, worried that people were reacting the way that they were. It just Mm -hmm. made me more curious. But fast forward, and by the way, this is way before I started doing diversity work, and I've probably told you this story because I share it a lot. It was such an important part of my journey. But I was at a sales conference once, and there were about 300 people in the room. I was one of about 10 women. Mm. I was one of two African-Americans. And I was the only black woman in the room that day out of 300. (sighs) And the topic of conversation just happened to be diversity. And there was a white male executive in front of the room talking about diversity. And I was having a very adverse reaction to looking at this person talk to me about diversity. By the way, this was way before I started doing diversity work, but I remember this incident. And I remember going up to this person during a break and I said, Mike, I said, I can't receive your message because I had completely cut him off. And he said, why not? And I said, well, because of what you look like. And he said, I'm gay. And it was the first time that Mm. unconscious bias really just hit me upside the head. But it wasn't until I got home in which I fully understood the impact of that interaction with Mike that day. Yeah, I was sitting down, was about to have dinner, and all of a sudden I burst into tears. Because what I had realized Mm. is that what I had done to Mike People had been doing to me my entire life. They had been looking at me and placing a judgment on me and my value and my capabilities simply by what I had looked like. And I, in turn, started to do it to other people. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it was that day that I said to myself, Raj Kumari, I will never make another person feel undervalued Mm -hmm. simply for what they look like. Yeah. And it was that experience that led me to create Vibe because once I started doing diversity work, the topic of conversation then really was on diversity. And then it changed to diversity and inclusion. And so fast forward Mm. 10, 15 years since I've been doing this work, I realized there there, there was also this notion of belonging that was missing. There was something missing out of the inclusion and diversity story that we had been telling ourselves. And for me, it was that connection to belonging. I finally had the language of that one missing thing. Mm. And so to create vibe, value, inclusion, belonging, and equity for all, yeah. For all. It is that is so important as a part of that link to what we are trying to achieve, not just in workday, but what I believe we should be trying to achieve in the entire world. Well, and this is so important because workday is tendrilled globally. Mm-hmm. Right? right. I mean, you have hundreds of thousands of clients. That's right. Right. So yeah. how do you actually model this internally and then bring it externally to yeah, the clients? It's such a great, it's such a good um, question. And what we're doing internally is exactly what we're trying to lend to our customers as well through mm-hmm. our technology. Mm-hmm. And so we not only are we looking at our processes, we're thinking about the experiences of people, we're thinking about mm-hmm. how do you create this system mm-hmm. of equity that's based on honestly differences and similarities. You're taking everything in your culture and you're building your processes and the ways that you do things around that dynamic culture 
as opposed to something that's artificial that may be something for another company. Think, I always encourage people to think about what is your, what do you need in your environment and go after that because it may not be the same as what someone else needs. But also don't overlook the fact that you can actually learn from what others have done and you can replicate some of that because some of that will work in your environment as sure. well. But you also need to think about what are the nuances that are just a little bit different that you may need to bring in. But at the end of the day, if you think about the words of value, inclusion, belonging and equity for all, it doesn't matter where you are, what your race is, what your sexual orientation is, what your gender is, what your physical ability is, where you live in the in the world. It doesn't matter. Inclusion, belonging and equity for all means for all. And that's what we're trying to achieve. So I'm going to very respectfully push back. Please do. And I feel comfortable doing so because of our friendship. Yes, and our thank social you. Capital. Let's do it. Because Workday is a beautifully global company, mm -hmm. and you use the word culture, mm -hmm. and I'm going to take I'm going to take the word culture for a moment here and extracted out of an organization and put it into the lens of a nation okay. or multiple nations or continents, okay? There are cultures of countries that are not in favor of some of the things that you've just mentioned, mm -hmm. where you have offices. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Asia, mm -hmm. for example. Before I continue that sentence, I want to just add this tangential point, which is Resmanikum. And I say I bring this up in every episode that I can possibly finagle it into. Resmanikum, who's the author of My Grandmother's Hands um, and Quaking in America, talks about how bodies, right, human bodies, that are conditioned in violence, actually see safety as a threat. When we talk about inclusion, when we talk about belonging, when we talk about equity, not equality, and I'd love for you to kind of help us, you know, the audience to kind of define and make that distinction, because it's very, we, we've definitely left equality <laughs> years ago, yep. and we are standing very firmly um, in, in equity. In fact, um, you know, one uh, guest uh, that we had on the show, Adina Sterling, who's a professor over at Stanford, actually teaches a class called, you know, Equity by Design, mm. right? Mm -hmm. How do we begin to reconcile offices at Workday that are located in countries that don't value vibe? Yeah. Look, the world is a big place. <laughs> And as much as I would love to say yeah. stick vibe is our North Star and let's all work there, yeah. work to get there. Yeah. Remember, this is a journey and yeah. we are all in very, very different places um, along this journey. Mm -hmm. And even though there are certain places and locations around the world that may not value inclusion, belonging and equity for all people, mm -hmm. that's not what we're trying to create in Workday. I love it. And so we want to make sure that no matter where you are in the world, you still have an opportunity to thrive. And what happens outside of the walls of our country, of your of our company, yeah. sometimes we can't control that. Of We're course. not always the decision makers that have the power For sure. to determine and not let those things infiltrate our workforce internally. And so as we focus on that internally, we can we 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 put our efforts around what we can control, and then we've got but we've got to start somewhere. There's, certainly, yeah. And what what do you call uh, employees at Workday? Workmates. Workmates. Uh -huh. Oh, that's so cute. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. So so what do you do with workmates in offices that don't value a sense of safety or inclusion or belonging? What, what how do you start to invite that in as a way of being? I don't know that we have any okay. of our offices that don't value what we're trying to do. Or any them, of our or, offices or, or, in, in, in a whole. But let me let me go yeah. here. You will have people. We are a segment of we're we're just a, a, a we are a microcosm of society, mm. right? We we should not think that we don't have 
racist or homophobic people. Correct. Or, we, right. we shouldn't assume that those people are not within our, our companies. But what we also have to do is appreciate the difference of everyone and where I'm going to get back to what I said about mm-hmm. the similarities. Mm-hmm. How do you come back to the similarities and the good stuff that you can hold on to as opposed to just focusing on the differences that separate you? Okay, yeah, if some sure. now look at I talk about something Raj Kumari ta- <laughs> uh, so called good. bringing your best self to work, okay, or bringing your best self into the environment that you mm. are in. I do not believe in bringing your whole self to work, and here's the reason why: there are portions of each and every one of us that should not be exposed to other people, yeah. and they should. Th- and behaviors that you have should not be exposed to other people at work. Right. And so, when I want to be nasty at right. work, why do my colleagues have to endure that? I need to think about bringing the good parts of me that are going to play well with my workmates. And I need to bring that goodness into the workplace in which we are all trying to do something singular for our company. And that is to make our company profitable in what it is we're doing, right? That's why you have a for-profit company. But you also have to think about making sure that the environment is there for multiple perspectives, but it's all of the goodness that you want to thrive within your organization, as opposed to just saying, well, it's okay for Karen to come in and be nasty and mean because that's her whole self. I don't believe in that. I believe that there are behaviors that are conducive that allow for organizations and people to thrive. And it is the best of people. It is not just saying now we have to deal with the worst of everyone as well. I totally agree. And where is the duty responsibility of an organization to provide resources that offer a trauma-informed lens to the parts of the employee that need to be addressed that are showing up as an asshole. Yeah. I think you have to address those things in your workplace. That's why I'm saying you got to have you got to have the best of you of people coming in, not the worst. And so if the worst is mm-hmm. saying I can bring all my shit into work mm-hmm. as well and mm-hmm. you just have to deal with it. Well, that's really hard for us to unpack 20,000 people's worth totally. of shit. Yeah. Right? Totally. But if you say, look, we got to leave the shit at home, mm-hmm. but you can bring the good stuff in. That's the stuff that's going to make us thrive. Not all the stuff that's going to, that's going to detract us from what our main goal is. How do you address mental health? How do you address overwhelm? Ooh. How do you address anxiety? How do you address Ooh. depression? How do you address autism? Because mm. that would not be falling under the umbrella of the good shit. Mm. This is it, this is a good question, and I wish I had a good answer for it, but I'm yeah. pretty sure I'm not going to give you one. But here's what <laughs> here's what I would say: Look, we can't continue to ignore these things that are going on in our society. We can't continue to ignore them as if they're not happening and not having an impact on society. We need to break these issues down and we need to go after each and and every one of them to be able to unpack how people are going to show up better mentally, not just at work, in their families, in their schools, for their homes, for their entire communities. But if we continue to ignore the significant problems that we have around mental health And then just think about what the pandemic did to us. The pandemic, we were operating in a way before the pandemic. We took two and a half, three years in which we had to operate pretty much in isolation. And now we're saying, hey, everybody, just get back out there like it was before the pandemic. Right? That's not even reasonable to ask people to forego all of these, this three years of of intense experience of stress and trauma and just say, go back to how you were before. Well, I 1 million percent agree. What we're starting to see is the data from McKinsey and Gallup starting to creep up in workforces that are disengaged, right? I know that I am contending with all of my clients dealing with overwhelm, burnout, depression, anxiety in huge swaths. Mm -hmm. 
right? Well, just let, let me just touch on that for a second, because the other thing is if you don't address it, that just adds to more stress of what you're bringing into the workplace. Totally. And so if you don't address it, the the levels of stress are just going to continue to rise. How do we expect people to deal with and be able to operate with more stress than what they're already dealing with today? We've got to address it. And how do we do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think money, resources, thinking about where the power lies and where the decisions Mm -hmm. are being made to make sure that those people who are making those decisions are not only aware, Rajkumari, but are bringing the people who are being impacted in the community by that particular thing to help solve these problems, right? We think people who have mental health challenges can't articulate what they need to be able to get better. They can. They've Absolutely, lived with they this can. in many, in many cases for can. years and years and years. Absolutely How do we can. leverage homelessness, hunger? Yeah. How do we bring in those people to help us understand what their needs are? Because it's not always just economic support that they need that we need to solve some of these problems. Well, I think your answer is in vibe, to be honest. You have the my the, the vibe mindset. There's there's three main components or tenets of the mind the vibe mindset, which is, you said curiosity, we talked about that. But the two that really kind of, you know, tug at my heartstrings are compassion and courage. Uh, woo. I, I, so there, there's something that I really believe. And it is, if we all had a common language, and that common language was curiosity, gosh, we'd be in a lot better place. And what I mean by that is instead of judging someone, instead of being critical about something that you don't know about someone, why don't you just be curious? Ask a question, explore more. Remember, we only have so many lived experiences. Most of what we know is through learned experiences from other people. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because all I want to do is start spouting science and research at you about why people are curious. You know, and it's like if we if we literally just think about how we become more curious about yeah. people and really think about, you know, your lived experiences versus the plethora of learned experiences, when you cut off other people, other people's experiences, you stop your own learning. You no longer have a growth mindset. That that is 100% accurate and I will add this piece. I can't be curious if I don't feel safe. That's right. That's right. Period. That's right. It's not going to happen. That's right. So not only do I fully agree with you, I just had a conversation with a client where they were in a meeting. They were working with a, a team, right? So, so they had a client and, and there were multiple people on the Zoom call. And they were from a different culture. So, so you know, we're based in the U.S. and, and, and this person, this client was... Um, my client was working with his client who was based in the UK. Okay. And it's interesting. So, so, so in our conversation together, he seemed very upset and he was talking about the situation and, and how he's feeling really frustrated with them and how they are super OCD and, you know, just very transactional and very get stuff done. To your point of the vibe set, the the vibe mindset, I invited my client to reflect on and, and two particular individuals that he was challenged with, imagining them as four-year-olds, imagining them as four-year-olds in their adult clothing that he just witnessed in the meeting. And the moment I said that, instantaneously his face changed and you could see the compassion. Mm. instantaneously so the question that i asked sparked an invitation for curiosity which then led to compassion all spontaneously ignited on his own and then i said in the next time that you connect with them the next meeting that you have do these things and we talked through it he spent like half an hour talking about it. And he actually, we ended the conversation with him saying, now I have, now I'm actually excited 
to try to reconcile this and change the conversation. And he found the courage all on his own. Mm. This is genius. Mm. If we can operationalize the vibe mindset Mm -hmm. by truly understanding how to step-by-step move into curiosity, ignite organically the compassion, and then have that individual step into their own, use the word power, Mm -hmm. right? Take agency, find their sovereignty, that courage to make a difference. This is, in my mind, this is, this is how you bring vibe to life. Yeah. It is by putting that, those lenses yeah. of curiosity, compassion, and courage. You know, courage isn't always easy no, to make not. courageous decisions. Totally. Sometimes when you have to step up as a leader or as an individual, it takes courage to make really difficult decisions. Yeah. But if you've applied curiosity to the situation, you've overlaid that with a level of compassion because you understand the difficulties of the decision that you are about to make. At the end of the day, even though that decision may have been courageous and it may have been difficult, you will feel so much more comfortable that it was the right decision. But if you would have just totally. jumped to the end of the road and made the, the, the decision without being curious, without, without asking questions, without thinking about compassion and meeting someone where they are, mm-hmm. you know, n- we all don't require the same things in life. Equity yeah. is about sometimes meeting people where they are and giving them the tools and the resources to be successful. We don't all need the same tools and resources, but if you can be compassionate and you can see that different people may need different things when it comes to giving feedback, feedback is easier because you've been open. Right. When it comes to receiving feedback as their leader so that you can understand better Mm -hmm. of how to be more compassionate with that person the next time, You've opened up the space for us to engage and dialogue and create that network, Mm -hmm. that really trusted network that we're all looking for when we step into whatever community we're trying to thrive in. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think, you know, as an executive coach, uh, I, I would posit that there's a very salient distinction when getting curious and to ask questions from a place of desiring to be in relationship versus desiring to be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let me prove to you that my data point's correct. Let me ask you a question and catch you in a, you know, yep. right? So, so how do we start to really witness ourselves in, in that and, and allow, you mean, you're talking about dignity. Yeah. Dignity, not only dignity, a little bit of presence as well. Think about how distracted we are, right? You and I are having a conversation and your phone buzzes. And the first thing that we do is, oh, let me see. Let me see who's texting me. Well, I hope you don't do that when we're talking. Well, of course not. (laughs) But you know what I mean, right? We're so distracted by so many things in life. How do we remain present at the moment? You know that my brain is constantly going to the science, right? Like everything you say, I just kind of want to like, and this, and this, and this. What does the science tell us about presence? Yeah, I'm actually going to go there. So, you know, um, for those of you, for those who know my work, I I spend a lot of time talking about Yak Yak Punksip's work. He has an amazing TED talk. He wrote the book, Affective Neuroscience. Sarah Payton and I have done so much around the circuits of emotion and motivation. We are hardwired for different emotional responses, according to Yock. Okay. So on the left side, I'm just going to say left and right just to make it really easy. On the left side, we have something called the seeking circuit. That's our motivational uh, aspect of who we are. And this is actually where we draw curiosity from. The right side brings us the emotionality piece. So we have the care circuit where we can actually have the empathy and the relational pieces. We have the joy, the, sorry, the play circuit where we actually access joy and, and, and innovation and creativity. 
And then we have a bunch of other circuits, right? We have the rage circuit, the fear circuit, the sexuality circuit, the disgust circuit, and we have the panic grief circuit. Mm. And the panic grief circuit is where we are hardwired for presence. Mm. Now, what is so interesting about that is, you know, we talk about in belonging and in inclusion, and, and we talk about creating cultures of safety. We talk about needs, the need for safety, the need for respect, the need for collaboration, predictability, reliability, trust, whatever it is. And each of these circuits are hardwired for a particular need. The panic grief circuit is hardwired for presence and accompaniment. Mm. When we have the experience where we are not being accompanied, the person isn't present, and you just took a big breath right there, then we arrive at isolation. Specifically in the circuit, it's called alarmed aloneness. There's also shame in that circuit. There's also sadness in that circuit. It starts to make sense why there are, again, truckloads of research around isolation and how detrimental isolation is for our health because we don't find accompaniment and presence in a world that is so focused on creating distractions. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, actually, and, and completely makes a ton of sense to mm -hmm. me. Um, especially the the piece on isolation. Yeah. If I reflect on the role of a chief diversity officer, which mm -hmm. is what I am, yeah. over the last several years, I would say a ton of chief diversity officers have felt isolated. And that notion of isolation and what it does to your psyche and how you feel as if you don't have an outlet with anyone because yep. of the work that you're doing, right? You're sitting in a space of not just understanding yourself and how you're being impacted from what's going on around you, but an enormous amount of empathy and compassion, probably to a point of fault for other people because of what's actually happening within their lives as well. Yeah. And when you give that much of yourself, correct, you isolate yourself more. Of course. That is so it. That's a trauma response. It, it really is. Yep. And so that really resonates with me a ton. The, the definition of trauma, it depends on who you ask, of course, but if you kind of, you know, um, aggregate all the definitions of trauma and distill it, it is in essence um, being too alone, mm -hmm. right? The essence of being alone. And... This takes me to heartbreak. I, I'm really loving, I'm loving your, your deep breaths, to be honest. Like, I, I'm really loving how present you are in this mm. conversation with me and how you're connected to your body mm. as we have this conversation. So thank you for that presence. Thank you. This takes me to heartbreak, and specifically heartbreak in the workplace. And I know it's a very weird conversation or topic to bring up in the workplace, but we don't talk about it enough because yeah, you're smiling over here. I need to, I need to know what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to go even past heartbreak and I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say the L word, love. Why can we not I'm gonna cry. mention no, I'm gonna cry. the word? Why can we not talk about love, diversity, equity, inclusion? It's about love. Right? Why are we so afraid to say this is what we're trying to achieve when we are engaging with one another? It's the love that I have for you and the engagement that I want to be in with you that makes me want to be present as I am here with you. Why are we so afraid to talk about that? It is a beautiful word that we all want more of, but we act like the eight to 10 to 12 hours we're in the workplace, the most amount of time that we spend, we can't talk about the one thing that we are all craving more of, and that's love. So do you want to write a book called Organizational Love Together? 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Maybe we should. I'm not even kidding. I could bring the science. Oh, right? I, it, I mean, and so, and what, what is heartbreak? Mm. Heartbreak is the absence of love. of love. That's right. That's right. It's beautifully said, mm. Karen. Wow. I am so emotional. <laughs> so I'm going to redirect us a little bit energetically here okay. so that I don't burst into tears. <laughs> okay. We're going we're gonna to say some things. We're going to say some facts. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. Here we go. <laughs> From 2020 to 2021, mm. <sighs> reported hate crimes. I'm going to start crying. That was not a good plan on my part. Rose by more than 11%, according to the data collected by the FBI. Crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, Sikhs, and LGBTQIA people saw some of the highest increases. For Asian Americans, hate crimes went up 167%. For the LGBTQIA plus Americans, hate crimes went up by 70%, again by the FBI. You talk about acceptance versus tolerance. I am so emotional. When I read these data points, how are you feeling as I read these data points? There goes my heavy sigh again. I, I'm angry yeah. at the world right yeah. now. I'm angry yeah. at our country right now. If I look at how we have lost the plot <laughs> when it comes <laughs> we to how we value humanity. I'm going to take it to humanity. The way that we treat each other, the way that we value each other, the way that we respect each other, it's all gone out the window because we're so focused on internally ourselves. We're so focused on I'm the only one that matters. What happened to when we were in a world when we cared about the person sitting across from us? That no longer happens. How can you feel good about the fact that you see an 80-year-old person of any race, gender, ethnicity, it does not matter. How have we lost humanity when we see someone getting beat like that and we turn a blind eye? We don't care. Where's our humanity? When we see people getting shot up in churches or synagogues, you can't or even mosques. go to a place or you can't even go to a place of worship anymore without feeling unsafe. Where have we gotten to with guns and our gun laws and the impact to our children? Look, uh, my friend asked me, he said, let's go to the trans march. I said, I would love to go to the trans march, but I don't want to get shot at. And that was how I responded. I ended up going to the trans march, but <laughs> I was like, Good. you know what? <laughs> but, but the fact that you, that that thought even had to creep into exactly. your head today, in today's world, and that's what your biggest fear is, is not being able to go out in public and have a good time. Yeah. That's where we've gotten to. Yeah. Because we're so afraid. Not, not even have a good time. Feel like we belong. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of of the other person? You were human. How much harm could you possibly? Sharif Abdullah, who's the author of The Power of One, Authentic Leadership in Turbulent Times. I, I love this quote. I say it as often as I can as well. People hate in order to know who they are. When you hear that, Karen, I, I'm looking at your face. People hate, I hate in order to know who I am. Yeah. So the, the, what he's conveying yeah. is, um, I don't like that. I know that I'm not that. I am this. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's, that's, that's the, the value of those individuals who, who use hatred as a way to understand their own identity. I, I'm going to go back to something that I said earlier, yeah. and that is, what is our fear of difference? 
What is our fear of difference? Because I am different than everybody. Why is it that, why is it that it's your skin tone or your eye color or the fact that you're in a wheelchair that makes me in my body so afraid of you? What's my fear? When do I turn that fear into curiosity? Why do I lead with fear so that I'm afraid and I hold myself back and I hold you back too? If I were to lead with curiosity, I would be asking you more questions to rid myself of my fear. Well, if I led with love, that would lead me to curiosity. That's true. Because I'd want to know more about you. I'm loving these breaths, Karen. <laughs> it's a, it's a, these are some, these are some hot, difficult, burning topics that Absolutely. I think about every single day in reference to the state of where we are as a world. Let's talk about that. Where, where are we? I mean, you, you know, we have just had the Supreme Court make some, some, some decisions, um, uh, They've been making these decisions for, for quite some time now that have been um, non-inclusive and not prioritizing belonging and safety for many different communities in this country. And um, I, I can see on your face the, the rage, and I love that. I love that. Um, and, you know, when we kind of scan the world, that, yeah. There's just so much, there's so much anger there. There's just so much upsetness. Yeah. Um, is there, is there other emotion? It seems like there might be some other emotion there for you as well. There's, there's anger is probably, probably anger and a lack of true understanding yeah. of how we got here, of how we have let the foundation of what this country yeah. was built on. Totally. How we have let some of those ideals creep back in yeah. to how we are operating in this century, right? Some of the decisions that are being made today are likely to have the impact to taking us back way much further than any of us are anticipating. Absolutely. And I think that part of my fear and yeah. what's happening today and where I need to become much more curious so that I can try to figure out how do I help us solve for some of this is how and what is the fear of the people who are driving these decisions that are taking us so far back? We mm. are getting to a point to where we thought we were making progress. Mm -hmm. And I feel. Like we are not making progress. We have almost come to a standstill with some of the some of the decisions that are being made right now because people are uncertain. Do I move forward? Do I move back? Do I move to the left? Do I move to the right? And because I don't know, I'm remaining stuck in the middle and I'm not doing anything. That is a danger to our society. And so I think we do have to get to back get to a point to where what's driving these decisions and what's driving, we know what's driving the fear. We, we do. And that fear is so real by so many people who are yeah. still in power that in order for us to change the game, change the outcome of where mm -hmm. we're trying to get to, we have to unpack what's happening. We can't continue just to say, let's not call it diversity. Let's move on and call it something else because diversity is too polarized. It's too hard for people to understand. Right. We've got to start breaking down. What are our issues with race? What are our issues with difference? Why are we homophobic? Why are we, like, why? Transphobic, why? Islamophobic, Tra able, all of ableist, it. elitist, casteist. All of it. Um, gosh, so, so much to say here. Um, I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm fearful. Thank you. I'm fearful for the kids, all the kids. It doesn't even matter what race you are right now. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. I'm fearful for what's to come for the next generations yeah. if we don't get our shit together. I coached a, a founder and CEO years ago um, of a startup who was a cocaine addict. And uh, 
it was very challenging for me because we had to talk about his addiction to cocaine and how to deal with that in my in my epigenetic coaching framework that I do and how do we navigate that and and we we were measuring his HRV because when you measure heart rate variability you can actually watch the um psychosocial uh, and physiological well-being through that and so we actually went for six straight weeks without him, you know, with him abstaining from cocaine. Mm-hmm. And then he went off to a party and then he had a bender. And it was fascinating to watch his heart rate variability plummet. Like it was in the high 80s and 90s and it just plummeted after his, his, his binge. I got curious and I said, well, you know, after I asked him some questions, part of progress, part of growth, involves us to take a step back and relapse. Because in that relapse moment, we get to see, oh, fuck, I do not want to be here. This shit is horrible. I forgot what it was like to be on a bender, Mm -hmm. even though I was having a blast at the party. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that again. And then we said, okay, well, how do we ensure moving forward that we work through that? And, and unfortunately, his mother started to die of cancer and then eventually passed. And so that became a little more contentious and, and, and fragile. But he did. And in that conversation of valuing the relapse, he saw the power in not judging and shaming, but the opportunity to step in and find the courage to keep moving forward and doing it again. It's beautiful. How could we see where, I'm going to get so emotional right now. How could we take this moment globally, witness it as a relapse, oh my God, I'm going to start crying, and then choose to, do, to move differently, to show up differently, to move forward? It's a great question. I think, that if we all understood ourselves better yeah, and what created that sense of animosity or mm-hmm. fear or whatever it is you want to call it for yourself, mm-hmm. that makes you see another person as mm-hmm. a threat, mm-hmm. that's likely something that's going on inside of you. Bingo. Once we can unpack what's happening within ourselves, we can then love other people differently. Yes. But if we don't do our internal work. Correct. If I would have never had that experience with Mike that made me say, you're treating people different simply by what they look like. I would have never gotten to a point to where I understood vibe. But if I would have closed myself off and not been curious. For sure. About why I thought Mike couldn't add any value to my life. And I would have stayed stuck exactly where I was. And so I think part of this also has to do with not just acknowledging who you are as an individual, but also giving yourself some grace and some love and being curious and compassionate about who you are as well. Absolutely. Right. You say, Belonging centers around the individual, while inclusion relies on others letting you in. I love this next piece. You say, owning your sense of belonging, you are in the driver's seat. You hold most of the power. You are the decision maker. You can change status quo. That's right. Only you can determine what makes you feel like you belong. Only you can articulate it better than anyone else can. Mm. And when you understand what makes you feel like you belong, Mm. you can then set the stage for where you are in the driver's seat and you do hold the power for what you will and what you will not stand for Mm. in reference to how you're being treated. You always have a decision. You can always walk away, but you can also be the one to lean in and maybe change your behavior so that the outcome of others is different as well. And so it's not always about what are others going to do for me? How are others going to make me feel like I belong? I have to play a part in my own sense of belonging 
I have to know who I am. I have to be able to articulate what those important things are in reference to how I feel like I belong. I have to have patience. I have to have compassion, right? I have mm-hmm. to have empathy, not yeah. just for myself, but for others in yeah. the context of what I'm trying to do when engaging with other people. Say it louder for the people in the back, mm, Karen. Girl. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I always say I, when, I, when I'm working with executives who are challenged on different fronts, I say, you know, you want to be an ally? Be an ally outside mm-hmm. of the conversation. Mm. Be human inside of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. An ally outside, human yeah. inside. They don't need you to be an ally inside the conversation. That's they right. already know that's, what they need. That's right. <laughs> they already know that. That's right. That's right. So thinking back uh, 20 years, 10, let's go 20 years. Okay. When it comes to DEIB organizations, you know, I remember in 2013, just kind of rolling my eyes, like, come on, people, come on, right? But it has been a journey for organizations, for executives holding that seat. Mm-hmm. Where have we made progress? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've made a lot of progress, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I remember when I was at Facebook, unconscious bias, implicit bias was like, was the thing, mm-hmm. right? And now mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, people get over it. You have a reticular activating system, <laughs> just own it. Right? You cannot actually eradicate <laughs> implicit bias, That's otherwise right. you'll die. That's right. <laughs> just won't happen. Um, where, where have we made progress? And where do we need to still go? Oh boy, we have a lot. Let me let me start with this. <laughs> we have a lot more to do. Yeah. But I will tell you, we have made progress. If I go back, you know, the 15, 20 years I've been doing this work, we started off just really thinking about what was it like to increase our representation of women in the workplace. Yep. And then it became women in leadership. And then it moved to another demographic of people, right? And then we started. So if you think about how the conversation has evolved from affirmative action mm-hmm. to diversity and inclusion to now DEIB, right? Diversity, yeah. equity, inclusion, belonging. Yeah. And I guarantee you tomorrow, there's going to be another term that we have created. Love. Right? Exactly. Maybe it's love um, to talk about this work as well. So if I look at that journey, we've made progress and we've made progress for most communities. There are more black people in the workplace. There are more black people in leadership. There are more women in the workplace. There are more people... There are more of us, which means that we have made progress in some places. Mm-hmm. Here's where I would argue um, that we have not made enough progress, and that is on the inclusion, belonging, and equity front, right? Um, I look at diversity this way. The world is diverse. You put two people in a room, the world is diverse because people are different. And my definition of diversity yeah. is difference. Yeah. And so the world is diverse. Now, that does not answer whether or not you have the right mix of diversity, Right. So you can't just say, well, everybody's diverse. So if I have all these white people or all these women on a team, then it's diverse and I don't have to do any more work. Nope, that's not it. You can have you can have diversity. You have that mix. That mix already exists. It's how are the people in the mix feeling about being there? Not only do they want to be there, but do you want them there as well? Do they have that Mm. feeling of you want them in the room? Not that they always have to be invited into the room. Being invited into the room suggests that somebody else has the power. Being in the room and deserving to being to to be in the room mm. means that you've earned your spot there. Mm-hmm. No one had to pull up a seat for you. No one had to open the door. When that company hired you, that was your seat at the table. Absolutely. And if we start acknowledging it like that, as that. opposed to saying, oh, well, now I you're in the that. company and I have to let you, yeah. right, um, into the room, that's not equity. That's not inclusion. That's not belonging. And so as much as we've done on the representation side, and we see this across a ton of companies in general, um, we haven't done as much on the equity side. And I would even argue to say we haven't mm-hmm. done enough on the on the diversity and representation side either. Our companies are still very imbalanced when it comes mm-hmm. to racial, gender, and you can throw we can throw a whole bunch of other um, dimensions of diversity in there now as well. We are very imbalanced. And so diversity helps us to work on that balance, but 
If you can't make people feel like they belong when they're there, they will continue to walk out the door and you will have this revolving door of talent. Those people who are walking out your door are going to talk about your company negatively. That's going to impact your representation and your brand. And that ultimately is going to impact your financials. Absolutely. Okay. So that's a string of what happens when you don't value Mm. something like a vibe, Mm. right? You have to appreciate that what really drives profitability for your company is innovation. What drives innovation is diversity of thought. What drives diversity of thought is individuals coming into your company with different experiences, backgrounds that are then going to help them think differently about solving a problem that is different from everybody else that is going to be contributive to that is going to be additive to what you were bringing to the table. And that's going to continue to drive innovation. But if we all just think the same, we're not going to grow. We're not going to learn. We're not going to have anybody who challenges us to do things different. I mean, this is getting proven repeatedly over time around AI. Yeah. AI is going to be an interesting one to see how AI plays out. I think AI is one of those areas that honestly, we have no idea the benefits or the dangers of what AI is going to bring to this world. Ultimately, I think we're starting to see some of them. I think AI is something that is going to be a turn of the century, new technology, very similar to probably the phone or the car or the airplane just in a way, or the computer, in ways that we've never operated before. I, uh, I don't have a lot of curiosity around AI. <laughs> I will just admit that. Um, you, I know you personally. Mm-hmm. We are friends. We are dear friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our Napa days, mm-hmm. where we spend the whole day in Napa together. That's right. Once a year. Uh-huh. <laughs> Need to do it more often. <laughs> Whatevs. Um, so I know you personally quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, you have many intersectionalities. Do Talk about your intersectionalities. Yeah. Talk about how you bring that to work. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, so I'm African-American. Mm-hmm. I'm a gay woman. I'm a single mother. Yep. Um, I have two beautiful adult children. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a leader. I'm an executive yeah, within my company. Um, and if I think about how I show up for me, what is most important is for me to show up authentically because I do hold so many different identities Mm -hmm. that can be not just explored, but that can be honored and that are similar to other people, um, in, in our organization. And so me, it's important that not that every leader shows up with that level of authenticity because it helps people who are, um, who are still growing their careers. It helps them to see that even people like them they can still grow their careers to to a really senior level. And so for me, I have to come up and show up that way. But I'll tell you one of the the beautiful things I think about intersectionality, and Mm. that is your ability to empathize with other communities and cultures, to be perfectly honest. The more experiences that, and and you don't have to hold all of those um, intersections, all those different intersections, but the more you can expose yourself to people of difference, the more you can empathize with people who are not like you. And for me, that's... That's the importance of how leaders show up um, when it comes to owning your intersectionality. I love it. You have two daughters. I do. They are um, two grown adult black women. Beautiful black women. And the question that I have for you, our last question, sadly, as we bring this conversation to a close, what is your hope for them in this new world that we are moving into? And specifically around organizations and creating cultures of, of belonging, of inclusion, of equity and diversity. My hope for not just my own children, but anyone who is um, kind of just growing up and trying to find themselves right now is that we are going to have not just a world, but our workplaces are going to be open to receive the brilliance that is out there Mm. and that people are not going to be held back or judged by what they look like or what people don't know about them. 
and more so that people are going to get back to that notion of curiosity and compassion and courage, and that this world is going to be that oyster, whoever you are, whatever it is you want to do, this world is going to be a place in which you can bring your best self in a way in which you can thrive. There's so much opportunity. Why do we want to hold people back? Let's give people an opportunity to soar Mm -hmm. by giving them what they need, when they need it, and how they need it in a way that is good for them. If we can think about putting individuals and hearts in the center of what we're doing, if we can think about putting people in the center and putting hearts, and as we've talked about love in the center of what we are doing, it'll be a much easier journey for us to get to not just equity, not just inclusion, but belonging for everyone. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked about, That's what my goal is. And that's what I'd love for this to be a big world full of meshed belonging stuff that just makes us all happy and beautiful people. I love it so much. Karen, thank you for driving all the way up here from San Jose. It's my pleasure. So good to have you. So good to be with you. And I can't wait for our Napa day. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. That was Rajkumari Niyogi and Karen Taylor. Up next, the shadow side of self-advocacy and empowerment with Sinead Condon, Chief People Officer at Guidewire. Visit us at podcast.ibelong.com for all the ways to watch and listen to our show. You've been listening to Then, Now, and Tomorrow, an I Belong original series produced by Flowship. Today's episode was executive produced by Rajkumari Niyogi, produced by Mike Giordani, Edited by Ramiro Gava. Mixed by Alex Roses. Original music by Dario Valderrama. Production assistance by Tiari Boutte and Pili Melendez. Thank you so much for tuning in. Ooh.